Welcome to Coaching and Cocktails, the podcast. <laughs> All right, we're back again. <laughs> welcome, Sorry welcome, 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 welcome. And um, apologies up front. Um, oh, I forgot to tell you this, Brandy. We did not release an episode last week. Um, as I said, I was going to because Brandy was on vacation, and then I was supposed to do an episode with my husband Eric. We were going to do uh, what the judges are looking for, and we, I was going to interview him as a judge. But the only day we had to do it was Thursday, and by Thursday night, we were both exhausted and said, "Fuck it." <laughs> so, well, so I we think everybody's going to survive. Yeah, we didn't week, have an episode without, but we will do that episode. Um, it's just so we will do a what the what. Uh, what the judges are looking for uh, from a competition perspective, but sorry for not having, sorry for leaving our two listeners in the lunch last week. Well, one was my sister and she's on vacation too. So it's okay. <laughs> well, the other is my next door neighbor, Nate, Nate, sorry. <laughs> sorry. We didn't have the uh, podcast. And the third week. listener we have on with us today. Yes. So. <laughs> I don't know. Is so, so uh, Chris, are you still listening to the podcast? <laughs> yes. Did and you notice we didn't have an episode last week? <laughs> I'll let you slide. I'll let you slide. <laughs> okay, thanks. So we have um, Chris Fuste mm-hmm. with us today for her was... third her third appearance. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. she might actually be a co-host. I think if one more, we have to make her an official co-host. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's actually that's true. That's true. Um, but we're gonna do um, what I, I think a pretty cool episode today, and it's. Um, so we're going to attempt the coaching without the cocktails <clears throat> and see how this works out. Um, not that we actually drink cocktails while we're, while we're coaching, except when we're out of town in a hotel room is typically the only time we're actually cocktailing while also podcasting. But today we're not doing that. But we are going to uh, discuss a new book that we all three read and have none of us have discussed this book yet. So I don't actually know anybody else's thoughts on it. I know a little bit of Chris's just because we had a couple of chats and check-ins. But um, Brandy's read it. She said absolutely nothing to me about it. So I don't know how she feels about it. You get um, to find out live on here. My <laughs> husband my husband got to listen to quite a bit of it as I was listening to it on, uh, you know, on Audible while I was like getting dressed a couple of days and he's like yeah okay that's interesting um so it's called quit like a woman by holly whitaker it is the radical choice to not drink in a culture obsessed with alcohol and chris you're the one that sort of turned us on to this book you turned me on to it and then i i told brandy she needed to read it because i i wanted us to all talk about it so what i mean just Kind of tell us what drew you to this book, because I think you have a really interesting perspective on things that Brandy and I probably don't have. So, okay. So my, I want to try to make this short, but it's kind of not short. (laughs) So I'll do my best to keep it as brief as possible. But um, I stopped drinking when I was 22, 23, like I was almost 23. Um, At that point in time, so this was 2001. AA was your only option. If you wanted to stop drinking, that was all we knew about. That was all that was really out there. If there was anything else, it certainly wasn't mainstream. We didn't have access to the internet like we do now. So there wasn't really a lot of research to be done. 
Um, and I had gone to a meeting probably two years before with somebody I worked with that was court ordered to go to meetings. And um, although I never felt that I actually belonged there, I did feel like I needed to stop drinking. And so at some point, I just decided to compare myself in. Um, I would have been considered a high bottom uh, alcoholic, like a high bottom drunk, which means like I hadn't lost anything. I didn't drink on a daily basis. I didn't drink every day, like all of those things that I think qualify would qualify people as an alcoholic. Um, and then at some point it just didn't matter anymore. You know, I started having kids, I started competing in bodybuilding, drinking just wasn't even something I cared about. And then about two, well, okay, let me say this. I stopped going to AA about 14 years in. Um, there were a lot of things that I had issues with about, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was always kind of looking for a way out, but I had a sponsor that assured me I belonged there uh, told me not to really question anything just to kind of work the program and do all that. And the way that I was raised was the same way. It was, this is how it is. It's black, it's white. There's no in between. You either follow the rules or you don't. And if you don't do what we tell you, you're going to do, you're going to like lose everything. And so I was definitely terrified that I was going to lose everything. One of the first things that they say is the first thing you put before your recovery is the second thing you lose. So once you start having children, you know, you're supposed to go to a couple meetings a week. You're supposed to sponsor people. You're supposed to do all of these things. Well, you, I was a single mom raising young kids. And so to have all this added pressure on for something I felt very lukewarm about in the first place, uh, just added on all that guilt. So I stopped going to meetings um, about, what, God, seven years ago. Um, still carried a lot of guilt around with me for not going to meetings, but eventually just decided to kind of let that go. And then about two years ago, my stepfather, which you know, my relationship with him is he's, he's the, the man who raised me very, very intense, very religious, military, uh, very hard on me as a person. Um, but he had come over, it was actually Easter time. And we were talking about one of my siblings, significant others. And this person has like really a bad alcohol problem. Like this person would have sex for alcohol, which I think is a bad problem, you know? Um, but he just kept saying things that she was repeating to him, which was all this like alcoholic synonymous slogans. Like, well, she believes that she's once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Uh, the first drink always gets you drunk. So as soon as she starts drinking, she can't stop. And then he said something about brainwashing. And I started to think, was I brainwashed in NAA? And <clears throat> eventually I started to think, well, maybe I could drink. Maybe I wasn't really an alcoholic. Maybe I didn't really belong there. And it took about two years before I decided to take that chance. And <clears throat> that would have been this past summer of 2020. And I, it, not a big deal at first, but I was- 2020 drove everybody to I drink. <laughs> Chris. It really, really I mean, if there was ever going to be a year that made you question. <laughs> no anyway. You, I mean, you're totally I right. thought that was ironic. <laughs> That it was 2020. I mean, because why not? Due to exactly. the COVID, I decided to have a drink. <laughs> there wasn't anything else to do. So, right. So, that is what happened. We, um, you know, I think over the summer, I had like a truly, and then I had like a hard kombucha, and they were like weeks apart, you know, and nothing happened, of course. It's like, I think 4% alcohol content in those drinks. So, if you have one, I'm not going to feel anything from that. Eventually, I came back to red wine, which was like my love when I was, when I was, drinking when I was younger. I worked in the restaurant industry for a really long time. And my boss was a connoisseur. So we were very educated on wine and all of that stuff. And there's just something, I don't know, I don't say glamorous, but I, I think I romanticized red wine, you know, it like has this sort of like 
thing about it that I just mm-hmm. kept getting sucked into. Um, to be honest with you, I don't think I've ever just wanted one glass of wine. So I, I would attempt to limit myself to two, two would lead to three, three would lead to me hating myself the next day. So, I mean, I still was like in this place where I wasn't drinking daily. Um, I would typically drink on Thursday because I was off on Friday. Um, and I don't know if it was red wine specifically or what, and I don't know if it was interacting with my antidepressants or what, but I would like just be in such a deep depression the day after. And I really wanted to make it work. You know, my husband and I were going out for happy hours every once in a while. It was like, we could just sneak off for an hour, have a quick date. You know, it was, it was kind of nice, but what I was feeling the day following afterwards was just gut. It was gut wrenching to me. And I'm like, I couldn't decide if it was just all the AA and my past sort of like weighing on me. Am I really an alcoholic? Is it the, the antidepressants? It was just all these things. And so probably right around January, it, it just never felt right. Let me say that. It just, I, it never felt right, but I really wanted to make it work. I really wanted to prove to myself I was a big girl now. It wasn't the same way when I was 15, 16, however old I was when I started drinking. Um, but I just was really struggling. And so long story short, I was flipping through, you know, you, how you pull up the news on your phone and it just gives you like a little snippet. Well, there was a, a thing of uh, Chrissy Teigen was writing about this book. She said 30 days sober. Now, let me say, I do not like think Chrissy Teigen's like great or anything. In fact, I think she's kind of irritating, but I was curious. And um, so I started looking at what she had to say and it was this book. And so immediately I, I, I bought the book. And as soon as I opened the, the first page, I was just like, this is it. This is it. And so what ended up coming from this book for me is I found that there's this whole other community of women specifically, but people out there that don't feel they fall into that alcoholic category. Um, but they also don't want to drink anymore. And so they have two terms that they call these, these people, sober, curious, or gray area drinkers. And the more I looked into the, to that sort of lifestyle, to what Holly says in her book, the more I felt like these are my people. I heard my story over and over and over again, which when I was in AA, I never heard my story. I'd hear a piece of it here and there, but I just never really felt like this is where I belong. Once I picked this book up, I was like, this is where I belong. Um, and there's no pressure to like quit drinking altogether, put labels on, on ourselves, you know? So it really did take that. Like if I fail, it's no big deal, you know, or in a it's AA. It's like, if you fail, it's all you're either drinking or you're not drinking and yeah. And you got to start all over again if you start drinking again. Right. And, you know, to have 20 years of sobriety, you know, I thought, oh my gosh, it just would be so devastating to lose all that time. But for me, I think it was really probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me because I've stopped questioning things. I have a solid answer. I know what's important and what I want. Um, you know, so for me, I think this book was just it was like, I just opened the skies and dropped it into my lap. So, <laughs> well, I, think that, I, mean, I, I think that was a really good explanation. I'm sorry, Brandy, what were you going to say? No, I, I was going to say like that. I mean, that's an amazing story and, you know, an amazing testimony. And of course you're brave to share it all because her, there's a couple of really amazing things in the book, but one of the main themes in the book is that culturally as women, we are pressured to drink mm-hmm. and that is due to it a large part being a massive commercial economic endeavor. Mm-hmm. And as a culture, especially as women, drinking has been so normalized that 
you feel uncomfortable not drinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, even I, I remember even when I was pregnant and going to work events before anybody knew I was pregnant, I would hide that I wasn't drinking because mm-hmm. people feel uncomfortable around you when you're not drinking. Um, even though it makes absolute no sense to consume alcohol. And she really lays that out like very blatantly through the book. Yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I was the, the first several chapters of the book, I was like, I opening just shit that you just don't think about, right? Like it's because alcohol's in our face all day, every day, every show you watch. I started drinking when I was probably 12 or 13, who fucking knows, Some, somewhere along the lines, right? But it's like in every conversation you have, in every TV show, in every movie, and just like the first couple of chapters, I was so hyper aware that everything I'm watching is alcohol, alcohol, alcohol. And I'm suddenly watching these people going, you would be dead if you really drank that much alcohol on a regular basis. Granted, the shows I watch tend to be like drugs, alcohol, violence, and, and things like that. But it was like, we were watching Animal, not Animal Kingdom, we were watching Kingdom at the time, the MMA um, family show. And I'm like, these people are literally drinking from sunup to sundown. Every solution to every problem is have another drink. And and I'm, I'm watching the show now and all I can think about is, do you really need another drink? I mean, my goodness, like, it's just like so much alcohol. And then, you know, and just scrolling through my social media feed, right? It's like every other advertisement or meme or... Or friend posting a picture and look, I'm guilty. Like, I mean, I, I do it too, right? Like it's culturally, this is just what, this is just what we do. Um, and I was, I, I thought again, like the first couple chapters, I was fascinated listening to the history of mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, advertising. And when you really start to compare it to things like smoking, right? Like, and how, uh, cigarette smoking was so glamorized, but now all of a sudden you're a pariah if you're smoking, right? And but but so alcohol is okay. It's just there was so many just like eye opening things to me. Now I will say, fast forward to the end, a lot of what I was getting out of this, and what I would say to anybody who could care less about you know maybe you drinking's not your the, your thing and you don't care, but everything in her kind of solution space to me works for anything you believe is causing a problem in your life period mm-hmm. right it because you know i could relate it to clients that i have that emotionally eat i could relate it to um just, honestly any number of things really just kind of like again that solution space so even you know i i would recommend people reading it even if alcohol is not the reason you're reading it per se um And I've been, you know, I've been in my own personal struggle with alcohol from a different perspective. Not that I believe I have an issue with it from an alcoholic perspective, because I don't. I mean, I drink, I don't know. I would maybe say I drink once a week, like on on the regular. So let me me add something real quick to cut you off that that will fit in. Wait, what is is it that, that Holly said in her podcast, Chris? Oh, can I finish? Can I finish? Are, are you done? Can I finish? So are you done? Can I finish? She, she quotes in here that people say, um, you know, talk about, I don't have an alcohol problem, blah, blah, blah. But in here, she says a heavy drinker is defined as somebody who drinks, a woman who drinks eight or more alcoholic drinks a week. 
Yeah. And a heavy drinker, i.e. an alcoholic. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> kind of what you're saying feeds right into that. We, we continue to say, I don't have a problem. It's like, I'm just a heavy drinker. I'm just an alcoholic phase. But when yeah, you look at the clinical phase. numbers, right. Mm-hmm of what actually is defined as you have a problem that nobody talks about because you just consider, as a culture, we just consider alcoholics, people who are falling down drunk, getting DUIs, getting thrown in jail, dying of cirrhosis. People who are losing shit because of alcoholism, right? Or right, because right. of their drinking, right? They're losing their job. They're losing their family. But they can't pay their eight, bills and all of these other things. Eight drinks a week, I would say a lot more people than not, women than not. Oh, I'm sure. Eight drinks a week. I can say I do not unless I'm on vacation, but, but where my problem comes in. So, you know, I, I, I'll say I do have a problem with alcohol. Why? Because it makes me feel like shit every single time that I drink it anymore. It didn't used to. Right. But now I'm older. So I metabolize differently. I'm on loop. I have lupus. So I shouldn't, shouldn't be drinking anyway. I have, you know, I'm on anti-anxiety medication also shouldn't be drinking and the medication I'm on because of my lupus says I shouldn't be drinking. And yet I still do. Right. Because, and Chris, you said something to me, you said something that really resonated with me because you wanted to make it work. Mm-hmm. Because God damn it, I want to make it work, right? I know that the wine that I had last night gave me a raging headache this morning. And sometimes I'll drink and it gives me heart palpitations. And it's all because of my medication and stuff, yet I do it anyway. So I do have a problem, right? Can I stop drinking? Yes. So I don't have a problem in what the alcoholic synonymous might define as a problem. But it is a problem because I'm doing something that I know is impacting my health and I know makes me feel like shit. And you got to do it anyway. And I can relate this to people who binge eat, people who, you know, can't get their nutrition straight or whatever. You feel like shit when you do it, but you fucking do it anyway, right? We know better, but we do it anyway. And what you said resonated with me because I want to make it work. Why? Because I am fighting against, against myself and saying, God damn it, I'm pissed off at my body and my body won't do what I want it to do. And I'm going to make this work because it means I'm getting old and I'm sick. And if I can't drink, then, then that means all these other things about me. But in the book, she, she talks about those things. Right. And it's, and it's all like these epiphanies that I'm having. And I'm like, I, yeah, that's me. Yeah. Like, I get it. Like, why, why am I trying to make this work? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make me feel good. Um, And I don't, you know, so, so I, I have, I was like up and down and all over the place through, you know, through the whole book. Um, and I still don't know where I am. Right. Because I, I did have wine last night at dinner, but I know, I know where I'm not, I am not in the, I'm just drinking cause it's a Thursday anymore. Right. I know because it's not worth it to feel like shit anymore. It's just not, if it's a special occasion, like, I think I'm in the space of, right now, I'm in the space of special occasion, had a glass of wine on Easter with my family last night for dinner kind of thing. Um, I don't know where I'm going to go from there. I know that I'm not, again, because I would just drink because it was a Thursday and I had, and the weather was nice. Yeah. Right? And so now I'm not, I'm not in that place anymore, but I don't know where I am yet as far as the book goes. Yeah. Well, and what I liked about her, one, one thing I really liked about her too, is I think she was a bulimic. So she definitely mm-hmm. had, she's got the isms. She, you know, she struggled with food. She struggled with pot. She struggled with 
drinking. So it's like, you know, I, I can relate to her on a few different levels. And I think that that was one thing too, where I struggled to label myself as an alcoholic. Cause I'm like, I can do it, this with anything. Like I can, mm-hmm. I can do it with exercise, like all the things. So it just depends on the day of the week and where I am, I think in my, you know, spirituality and, and, and my emotions. But the, I think the aha moment for me, when I realized like this, this is, this is dumb was, uh, I think it was right after that last night that I drank wine and my husband and I were in the kitchen talking and he was like, you just need a different drink. We just need to find you a different cocktail. And I thought, this is fucking stupid. I'm trying Mm -hmm. to fit a square peg into a round hole. And what I kept trying to explain to him is, you know, I said, I know what it feels like to feel good. I said, I Mm -hmm. felt good for 20 years. You know, I said, no hangovers. Of course I would have injuries and things like that, but like emotionally Mm -hmm. and, and physically speaking, as far as like not drinking and just feeling really healthy, most people don't know what that feels like. And Mm -hmm. I got 20 years under my belt. So I know I didn't like it. I didn't like the way that I was feeling, um, at all. And then the idea of trying to find a cocktail to make this work was just dumb. I thought, <laughs> and Chris, I will tell you in full disclosure, I 1000% relate to that too. It's scary. Are the similarities often frighten me, but I am trying to find the alcohol that doesn't make me feel like shit when I drink it. I haven't found it yet. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, Oh, well let me try this brand of vodka. And no, that one didn't work. Oh, let me try this brand of vodka. Well, let me try it with a mixer. Let me try it without a mixer. Let me just try it straight on the rocks. Mm-hmm. Let me, um, you know, try this wine. No, let me try the, Let me try the wine with the less sulfites. Let me try the red wine. Let me try the white wine, right? Let me try the canned cocktail, right? So it's like, and I, I, so I, like I said, I'm still processing through all of this, but I know where I'm going. Right. Like I know that I am going in the direction of, cause I have already significantly reduced, you know, my, just my, and my whole thought process about drinking has changed because I, I do know what it feels like to feel good. And I don't know why I would make myself feel like shit because it's just something I've always done. And for some reason I'm not ready to hundred percent give it up. Well, I think, I think the thing that I was holding on to, and I don't know how you guys feel about this, but it is, it, it is fun. You know, like I was having fun mm-hmm. while I'm drinking, I'm having a good time. Um, it's what happens afterwards. And, but the, the thing for me was previous life drinking, I was, it, it, it was like the magic cocktail. So I wouldn't know when it was going to happen, but eventually it could be like one drink or it could be 15. I mean, I'm probably exaggerating a little bit, but I was by then in a blackout anyway, but like you just wouldn't, I would never know what was going to be the cocktail that would send me into a blackout. And then it would be a switch that I would go from the happy go lucky person to like this other angry person that was going to just, you know, take my wrath out on everybody. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, who wants to live like that? but it's the, the fun part. And, and uh, you'll hear any addict say that, you know, they, that they chase that, that feeling, that first high, whether, no matter what it is, but it's that thing that sucked you in that made you feel so good mm-hmm. that you want to get back and you're never going to get it back the first, the way it was the first time, you know, she's never going to be that fun. I don't think I could be wrong, but, um, you know, for me, it was just never as fun as it was that one, that one time, that one time, <laughs> that yeah. one time. I had a really good time. And then after that, forget it. Well, cause you know, addiction's a real thing. And when I picked this book up, I had no idea what it was about. And I immediately kind of cringe at the alcohol thing. Cause I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to feel about this because I really did have an alcohol problem. 
Um, I haven't really talked about it publicly, but I thought putting on a podcast would be a good way to open the door to. <laughs> I mean, why not? We're all friends here. Us and the two people that listen. Right. My sister probably already knew. So um, this book was a real journey. So just for anybody sitting out there going, well, I don't understand even what the book's about. She opens it like the opening line or a couple lines of the book is a, a statistic saying one in nine. I'm sorry. What? Yeah. One in nine American women will die of alcohol related complications. I mean, that was one of the first things and I'm like, holy crap. So then she goes in to talk about the way she functioned as a young adult. And I had to put the book down many times because mm -hmm. it was like reading my own story and while in my story, I look back and it was fun and cool and just a lot of chaos. And that's what you do when you're young. Reading her talk about it, where it's a mere image, was very kind of sad. You know, she talks about she was a, a professional, a very successful professional, um, attractive, dated all the right guys, had all the right things, and was a blubbering alcoholic behind closed doors and, and open doors. And talking about being hung over at work and throwing up in the trash can on the way in the door. And I don't know if that was her story or mine because I've done that too. <laughs> and it, it was just, it was a lot of reckoning for me because I have definitely like ridden that line of, I've never called myself an alcoholic. It's always been, while well, I was a very heavy drinker for many years. The reality is there were many years I couldn't stop. And it wasn't like Tina talks about an option of just wanting to quit. I hadn't, I could not quit. It wasn't, it wasn't something I could do. And I drank every day of the week and put myself in bad situations that luckily I was fine. And at the same time, I'm a, you know, a, a successful professional. So you think, well, I've got all this stuff together. You know, I drive a Mercedes. I have a big bank account. I have the right job. I have the right boyfriend. So how can I be an alcoholic? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And struggled with that for a lot of years. And I'll tell you, you know, I got married and I had my first daughter. Didn't drink clearly when I was pregnant, but I went right back to it. And, you know, you can really talk about, you can believe in God or not. I don't know what your path is. But <laughs> when I had my second child, I developed an alcohol uh, allergy. And that's how I quit wow. at 37 years old. And, you know, when I think back to it now, like I could easily be like, they talk about like the mommy drunk culture that probably would be me had I not developed this, this alcohol um, allergy that makes it pretty difficult for me to drink. Right. So, you know, it's very powerful book. Like once they got to the mommy drunk part, I no longer saw myself there, but I see a lot of my friends there, oh, right. God, the, yeah. the mommy sippy cup and just this mommy <laughs> wine thing that, you know, I of course hate now because I understand now that there's probably a lot of 40 year old women who have an addiction and, you know, were like me for many years. Like, well, you know, I have all the right things. So how can I also be an alcoholic? And what, the, what I think that would be termed as a functional alcoholic, right? I mean, or how yeah. many years ago, right? So whatever the terminology would be, I mean, you know, Brandy and I have joked multiple times on the podcast about how, I don't know how either one of us didn't end up in rehab, even, you know, going through our divorces when we were, you know, cause we were drinking, we joke, right. We'd go to work, we'd go to the gym, we'd stop at the liquor store, get a pack of cigarettes or the biggest bottle of wine that they had and finish it off in a night. Right. And then you get up the next morning and we pretty much do it all over again. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and 
you know, I, 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 I drinking has just been, I forget about the fact, you know, it's, it's just so normalized. And I think one of the things that really, again, just started making me notice it in everything. Cause the book really does make you notice it and everything. Like I, I really was into the first couple of chapters, just getting into the app, like God, the advertisement and the patriarchy and the, you know, God, if you think about it in terms of, you know, smoking, you're like, Jesus Christ, like this just like, how do, how, how does people don't get all of this, right? Like, how have I not seen this before? Have I not paid attention? How have I not had my eyes wide open to all of these things? Um, you know, and I, I grew up around everybody drank and snorted Coke and smoked weed. And from the time I was born, I mean, I like Coke parties were a thing, right? Like you see them on movies. Eric, I remember Eric making a comment. He's like, you know, is that really what it's like us or, you know, some people, a bunch of people doing Coke. I'm like, that's exactly what a Coke party is like, right? Literally people are out with mirrors and lines of Coke, like out, like it's a, it's a thing. And, and I shouldn't have seen that at like four five, six years old. Right. But it's normal to me. It's the only people in my family that didn't drink were my grandparents. And even my grandmother had a glass of sherry every night. She hasn't in years, but you know, she had this giant jug of sherry and, you know, so it's just, it's just normalized. And now you look at it as a, I'm getting ready to turn 48 years old and the mommy wine cult, like I'm almost sickened by it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just like, what makes us think this is okay. Right. To normalize us around our kids. Cause now I'm thinking, and Chris, something you said to me, like, I want you to tell people what your daughter said, if, if, mm-hmm. if you're willing. Um, but my son jokes about us drinking, right? And I'm like, Jesus Christ, what the fuck have I done, right? Because now, yes, we teach him, you can't drink until you're 21. And we're careful what stories we tell him about, you know, what happened when we were drinking before we were 21. And, you know, we do all of those things. But he has seen seen us drink since he's little, right? We're never falling down drunk. So we're okay, right? We're never falling down drunk. So I'm doing okay. But I have normalized it for him the same way everybody normalized it for me. And that we normalize it, we make it sound fun and okay, and it's what you're supposed to do. I mean, shit, the title of our fucking podcast makes it sound fun and what you're supposed right. to do, right? Right. I mean, you coach and then you have cocktails. I was like, God damn it, are we going to have to change our whole fucking name of our podcast? Like, to change coaching, it to non-alcoholic cocktails. Coaching with non-alcoholic cocktails. Coaching without cocktails, I don't fucking coaching know. In, coaching in mocktails. Coaching there you mocktails. go. Ooh, I like it. So I do, so funny you say about the mocktails. So I actually started converting, you know, a couple months ago again I've been sort of slowly reducing my drinking just because I don't want to feel like shit all the time I'm, I'm getting I'm getting to the place where I know I'm going I'm just not there yet like like she said like I, I want to read that other book she talked about um the one the guy uh, quit he's oh, drinking, yeah something something like that I have to get the name of it um but that's where I am right because I'm I'm like yeah I'm not, not totally there yet but I drink mocktails almost every day yeah. I get so my favorites are uh, a can of grapefruit seltzer and unsweetened grapefruit seltzer, and then either a can of diet cranberry, um, diet uh, the fizzy cranberry that, uh, uh, or or um, they Fever Tree makes these like straight up like grapefruit juice. It's like really tart, and I drip, pour that in there. So I have like my little mocktails because I I know that that my bewitching hour is when I'm making dinner. That's when I feel tired from my day and stress. That's when I used to have a cocktail if I wanted a cocktail. Now I have a mocktail, and I'm perfectly fine. Eric yeah. will have a drink on a Friday night and I just sit down with my little mix of like seltzer and cranberry and I'm perfectly fine. I don't need to drink. Like, I don't need that feeling for anything. It's just like, I just want to do the thing. I want to have something special to drink. That's not water. 
<laughs> right? right. And, and you know, I'm just like, I, all I need is a soda. Like I'm fine. Like I don't need to have a cocktail. I don't really have, need to have alcohol in there and I feel perfectly fine. And I don't wake up feeling like shit the next day. Um, but yeah, I just, I, yeah, I, it, it's, um, and then it's funny because I, I like the concept of, you know, deciding you're going to quit and then don't question it. Yeah. That's where I get my, right. I'm just like, no, I'm done. I don't, I wake up. I don't want to feel like shit anymore. This makes you feel like shit. And then, and then it's Friday again and you question that decision. Right. Well, do I really need to, can I have a drink? I'll just have one. It won't make me feel that bad. Right. And, and you start all over again. Yeah, totally. So there's a group of us that, you know, we, We've always been friends. It's a couple of yoga teacher friends of mine, but we got really, really close during this pandemic. And two of the other girls in the group, they, they drink regularly. And I wouldn't say that I've seen them like out of control or anything, but one of the other girls in the group, her and I are, are very much think this, the same. And her, she kind of stopped drinking. She took a break, which gave me the power or the courage, I guess, to step back and look at my own drinking again and just be like, is this something I really want? And so seeing her take that break, you know, gave me the ability to really step back and see that this isn't for everybody and it's not for me. Um, And what you were saying, so my daughter, you know, she's 12, almost 13. And she said something to me when I I kept saying to her, I was like, I think I'm going to give up drinking. And then I drink again and whatever. And then one day she was like, you know, I don't really like it when you drink. She said, when she's, she was like, you're so happy. It's weird. (laughs) So it was like, as soon as I would have a couple of drinks, I'd be dancing and doing all this stuff. And I'm a pretty, you know, I like to have fun, but I'm a pretty reserved person. I don't let my guard down often. And, um, I certainly don't act like that. I mean, I think one night we were doing the walk, so it was like, it was pretty intense, but, um, hearing her say that, and I just wanted her to see that, that this isn't something you have to do. I think it is such a part of our culture, especially as teenage girls, you know, and trying to like explain to her why it's so important to keep your wits about you when you are with other people and not divulge too much information. Cause she is still a little too young to know all the things I've gone through. Um, but I think it was Glennon Doyle. I don't know if you guys have ever heard. Mm-hmm. If you haven't read Untamed yet, that is also a really phenomenal book. But she she is also a sober person. So is Brene Brown. But I think Glennon said um, that her sobriety is her superpower. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something I would like to identify as my own thing. You know, it's like, I want to be different. I don't want to be like everybody else. And I want to stand apart from the crowd. And at this point, that's the one thing that, that I can claim, like, you know, not everybody is a sober person. Well, and I, so another kind of relating this to nutrition, um, because I have so many clients that struggle with both. Right. And they, they tend to, and alcohol tends to lead you to eat more and, you know, and, and kind of you lose your inhibitions and, and those things, you know, like I, I, I know for me when I was dieting as hard as dieting would be in competition prep, cause she can probably relate to this. Like 
when I could like go out to eat or go to a party and eat out of my Tupperware container. And I didn't like, I like, even though it's sometimes like inside it was like miserable. I was like, I'm a fucking superhero. I was like, I am so badass that like I didn't eat the burger and fries that everybody else was eating. Right. So I think there's that, but there's, but it's hard sometimes to kind of like sit through that situation, but then you get out on the other side and you're like, yeah, like I did that. Like I feel so much better having not given into that. Um, and then to your point, teaching your daughter, our, our, our young daughters in particular, because I was drinking at a very early age and in a lot of situations I should not have been in that went very, very horribly wrong for me, right? So, which is, which led me to struggle with the Me Too movement because I was like, well, I put myself there. Yes. My fault. I felt too. Yeah. My fault. I'm not going to say no now. I'm drunk off my ass. I guess I'll have sex with this guy. This isn't where I want to be. This isn't what I want to do. Right. But you know, you can kind of tie all those things together. And honestly, I don't know how I didn't end up dead uh, yep. to be perfectly honest as a, as a young person, um, you know, putting myself in those situations. And if I had a daughter, I would be terrified. Right. For her to go out drinking and put herself in those situations and it just yeah i mean that 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 kind of struck me because you know you have you have a daughter so i can only imagine like how terrifying that would be so i think you're teaching her good things um yeah it's but it's, it's such a very personal thing i think what's really what i'm really working myself through besides me, it making me physically feel like shit is why am I drinking in the first place, right? Like I am really trying to take notice of it's Friday night and I want to drink. Why do I want a drink, right? Why do I want alcohol right now? Because I had a stressful day, because it's a Friday, because the weather's nice outside or because my husband is or because I'm out to eat or whatever, you know? So I, I, I'm, I'm just like I tell my clients mindfulness with food. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to have that same mindfulness. Like, why am I having this? Cause it's a craving. Why am I having this craving right now? Is, do I, and do I need to, am I saying I need a drink? Cause that I definitely don't, I need a drink today. I don't, I, no, I don't, I don't need a drink. I don't need to feel like shit. I do not need a drink. Right. I need to figure out why I feel like I need a drink. Why do I need to numb myself? Why do I need to alter how I feel? Right. Why do I, you know, why do I need to alter how I'm feeling in this moment? What is happening in this moment? What is this feeling? I need to feel this feeling, not numb this feeling, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to work through those things, you know, to so that if I do choose to have a drink, same thing with like the mindfulness and eating, if I choose to eat the thing, that is the pizza, that's probably going to upset my gut the next morning. Am I doing it because... I'm upset. I'm, I'm trying to numb a feeling. I'm trying to alter my mindset. I'm trying to any number of these things, or do I really just want to have a glass of wine with my mother-in-law on Easter because that's what I want to do. Right. So I think those are just, you know, again, just like kind of things to, I'm not, and I certainly wouldn't tell anybody to read this book because you, because everybody needs to quit drinking. Like I'm, I am, I am not going to be the alcohol police. I trust, trust me on that. Um, but I think it, it, gives a lot of valuable introspect. Well, let, let me quote, I think, to your point, most people will probably be like, well, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't want to stop drinking, so I'm not going to read the book. Yep. But she makes this quote in here that I thought was really interesting and made me feel a little bit of a hypocrite being in an industry we're in. Yeah. She says, 
We read labels. We shun gluten, dairy, processed food, refined sugars. We buy organic. We use natural sunscreen. We worry about fluoride in our water. She goes on and on. We don't use toxic cleaning chemicals. We do yoga. We constantly post on social media about how good we are at being healthy. And yet we drink something. We drink fucking rocket fuel. Yeah. That's, and, that got me too. Yeah. And I was like, huh. Yeah. I mean, so that's the reality of it, right? It doesn't make sense with the rest of the narrative I'm trying to weave for myself, right? To then, to, and for my clients to, to allow my clients to drink. I actually started a few years ago. I know Tina and we differ a little bit. I tell clients no alcohol, mainly because of this. Cause I feel like I'm a hypocrite saying I'm taking away your dairy and you, you know, taking away all these other things because they're not good for you, but you can have two drinks a week. It kind of goes in the same bucket as me. Like, here's all the things you shouldn't do. Now you're a grown ass woman. You decide what you want to mm-hmm. do with that. But alcohol is not somehow set aside. There's not unhealthy things. And then there's alcohol. It's unhealthy, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. And that really like drove that home for me. Cause then she goes on in this chapter to talk about the real health consequences and I actually like had to wake my husband up. I'm like, you got to listen to some of these statistics, which I'm sure he was like, shut the fuck up. I don't even care. But go have a drink and shut up. Yeah, he's like, shut up. Why are you sober again? He said, women who drink three alcoholic beverages a week have a 15% higher risk of breast cancer. Mm-hmm. So that was when I highlighted, but there's this whole list. And I'm like, well, how the hell is that information not put out? Because the industry is putting out these same, and then in the same vein, and then that same chapter, she talks about how, right, the antioxidants in wine and, you know, right. and, and how it's touted as this healthful thing because Jesus of the antioxidants wine. and Jesus drank wine. And, you know, so, <laughs> so, so in that, in that vein, and to your point, Brandy, and yes, it had that, that definitely, that whole chapter got me. I was like, mm, and I've mm-hmm. always struggled with that, but. I guess the, and I wouldn't say I, I certainly don't encourage my clients to drink, but if they make, I give them the education on this is what we're trying, this is your goal and how drinking does or does not play a role in that you're a grown ass woman, you make your own decisions mm-hmm. or man. Um, but because I'm doing the same, right? Like I certainly, like I, I've struggled with the fact that I'm a coach who has a podcast called Coaching at Cocktails and I regularly drink, right? And I talk about drinking, but I'm going to tell my clients, absolutely not, you cannot drink, Right. So again, the hip, hip, hypocrite yeah, thing. Um, so, but again, even if I were to, to se- decide here and now, I'm never having another drink. Um, I think I have started to push a little, push back more on clients who drink. And I'm a little bit more, um, I'm throwing more education at it and in, in helping them understand that like, it really doesn't have a place if you choose to do it fine, but it doesn't have a place in what you're trying to do. Just like it doesn't have a place in what I'm trying to do. Right. But I, uh, you know, so, so I, I, I am again, kind of like slowly making these, these changes in how I coach and how I treat my own self. Um, but I am not going, I'm definitely not going to be just like, I don't, you know, I don't force a client to give up dairy because they're constantly having diarrhea either. Right. I'm just like, well, if you didn't drink the dairy, maybe you wouldn't be constipated. And if you didn't like, if you didn't eat the crap foods, maybe you would, you know what I mean? Like whatever the case, maybe you lose body fat more easily. 
if you didn't drink, you might make quicker progress, right? So I, I put that information out there. These are grown ass people that are going to make their, their own decisions. But I, I do, I feel a little bit like I should probably be setting a better example and not, you know, doing it myself because um, I am touting this health thing. But again, you know, you got one side of advertising that says alcohol is healthy and you got one side of advertising that says it's not. So this is where you have to educate yourself and make your own decisions, right? Um, just like with anything, right? Anything you're going to. So I, when I was finished reading this book, cause I, again, it's one of those things where I like, I felt, yeah, like never drink it again. And then I get to the next chapter and I'm like, no, me. I don't know. And then, you know, I get to another and then because I do, I have to, I have to balance, um, the information because it is one-sided information. I'm not saying anything in her book is not true. I believe all her statistics are a thousand percent true, but just like watching a documentary on Netflix about being a vegan, I'm not saying there's anything in that that's not true, but there's another side, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you have to, you have to, you have to take in the information, you have to do your own research and then you have to do your own introspect. And what is it that works or does not work for you and why I think, you know what I mean? Yeah. So the last time we did the, the podcast interview kind of thing. So I think, you know, I had, like I said, I had a, had a couple of drinks here and there and then right around the holidays was when I started dabbling with the whole wine thing. And one thing I noticed for myself, and I don't know if anybody else can relate to this, but I realized I wasn't, I wouldn't eat. So I would drink and I would get so like preoccupied with the drinking that I wouldn't eat anything. And so then I would like wake up the next day and be down a couple of pounds because I'm dehydrated. But in my mind, I'm like, Ooh, this is, this is how fucked up I think sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, I did, I lost mm -hmm. a couple of pounds. So maybe this isn't such a bad thing, but you know, I, I think I ended up getting so freaking stressed about it because it was literally all I was thinking about. I was focused, so hyper-focused on it. Um, and then to start adding in like a pre-prep to that on top of it, it was, it was just, it was way too much for me. I mean, my brain was like on overdrive. Um, but you know, when you read her book and you start hearing some of this thing, these things that she says, you can't unlearn it. You can't right. see it. Like when you're looking for a car and you like, I really want a Subaru right now. I see them everywhere. They're all over the place, you know, and it's the same thing with the drinking, you know, it's like, you see how this is weaved into our culture. So like seamlessly, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's almost not even a thought. And, and I think you were, well, we watched the, I think it was the golden globes and this was just a few weeks ago. We're watching the golden globes. And in one commercial break, there were three commercials for booze. And the first one I think was for like, but I want to say it was beer. Maybe I think it was Budweiser and all the commercials were like, you know, this is the year that alcohol brought everybody together. And mm -hmm. in the Budweiser commercial, I'm pretty sure they were drinking at work. Like the girl goes to leave the office and they're like, come on back, have a beer. Let's come brainstorm together. And then, you know, the other two were like, one was Malibu and something else, but it's just like, holy shit, like this is everywhere. And, and to be told like, it's okay. And this is how we're going to come together. So it's one-sided on the advertising thing as well. We're not showing the destruction that can come from it. Right. Um, and there's something else I was going to say about women, and I can't remember what it was, but I think, you know, I'll have to think about it a little bit more. But the, the advertising and, and how much space, oh, I know what it was, just me putting myself out there a little bit more recently, 
I'm really finding that more people feel the way that we feel than don't, you know, and I think because it is weaved into our culture so much that, you know, people do feel like I have to drink. I'm supposed to drink. This is what we have to do to have fun. And that's Mm -hmm. where it stops, you know, and you're feeling left out if you go somewhere and you're not you're made to feel bad if you say no to drinking. Like, what the hell? Everybody that- looks at you like you're nuts, right? right. Like, it, like if you're if you decide to go out for pizza and you have a salad and everybody else is eating salad, what the fuck is wrong with you, right? right. We're all drinking wine and you're not drinking. What's wrong with you? And she talks about that a lot in her book, and it's and it's true, right? And I think that's that whole sober curious, you know, uh, subculture that's that's coming about um, because I think there is a lot of pressure to drink. Because it's normal. It's not normal to not drink, right? You're either pregnant or you're an alcoholic mm-hmm. that isn't drinking. I mean, right? Or, I mean, it, it's nobody asks you why you're drinking, but people will ask you why you aren't drinking. Nobody asks you why you're eating the burger and fries, but they sure as hell will question why you're eating the salad instead, right? It's just, it's, it's insane when you think about it, but you got to have your, if you don't have your eyes wide open to it, you're not going to see it because we're so just embedded in this culture and this culture is embedded in us. It's just so incredibly normalized. I, I just, it's yeah. But like you said, like all I, as soon as I started reading this book, I was like everything. I'm, I'm like, how? Like I could barely watch my shows that I loved. Cause I was like, they won't stop drinking. I was like, these people should be dead. I was like, oh, there they go. There's another drink. Oh, there's another drink. I was like, God damn it. You know, oh, you're hungover? Yep, have some more drinks. That makes sense. Get in the car after you've had several drinks. Why are we glamorizing this on a TV show? It doesn't make any sense, you know? But you, you are not going to see it while you're in it without taking yourself out of it to view it from, from another perspective, which is what I'm looking at it as now. You know, oh, go ahead, Brandy. No, you talk, Brandy. Well, I was going to say, she said, she talks at the end about how she predicts that alcohol will have its own cigarette moment, meaning, you know, there was a time not that long ago that cigarettes were just, if not more, socially accepted and, um, you know, part of the social scene fiber of, you turn on the fiber of our culture, you turn on TV, it was endless cigarette, you know, a lot of young people won't remember, but it was endless cigarette commercials, just Mm -hmm. like there's alcohol commercials now. And then obviously through the research and I guess political pressure, the cigarette industry was marginalized and highly taxed and has nearly gone away. She predicts alcohol will have its same cigarette moment. I don't know how much I, I don't know how much I believe that. Yeah. Um, I, that's hard to imagine, but I guess there was a day where people couldn't imagine cigarettes being, shunned the way that they are yeah i you have a good point i i too was reading that and i was like oh i just i just can't yeah, see like it in my lifetime i was that. like i can't imagine yeah. that but you know it's interesting so going back to kind of how what she was talking about the um you know how cigarettes started off as the man's thing and then how they started advertising to, to women and then as a know, diuretic as this, you know, a very, uh, cigarettes as this very glamorized thing, right? Um, you were, it was glamorous to smoke, right? And then all the women are smoking and then the same thing with alcohol and how it was a man's thing. And then women didn't drink. And then, you know, adding in, you know, um, hang on one second. Yeah. So, 
Uh, sorry, my son had to ask me a question, even though he sees that I'm podcasting. So but it sorry is a really, pause, but it's a really interesting discussion because, you know, our entire culture, our entire political system, the you know commercial industries are so focused on diet and health, right? Mm-hmm. The diet industry, I think, is number one or number two in the United States. It's probably the diet industry and the alcohol industry are the two biggest industries. Yeah, but how about this? So where I was going before my son interrupted, because this goes to your point exactly, Brandy, that that's they're now advertising alcohol to the health industry. Because now right. we had, because Chris, you said you had a hard kombucha. And right. they have, um, you know, all these diet beers, all and the, these no like carb skinny beers. Girl, the skinny girl and, stuff. And, and yeah. now they, they got this fizzy, this fizzy one with um, antioxidants vitamins. in it and vitamins yeah. in it. <laughs> and, you know, and all this, like, I'm just like, what is happening? Right? Like, you know, because in my mind, I'm like, there is nothing healthy about that alcohol, even though you just advertise it as having, you know, and that, that you know, 50 calorie beer is like piss water. So right. it's, you know, but to your point, Brandy, now, we're now we're advertising alcohol as healthy we're making healthy alcohol but it's still (laughs) rocket fuel but that is also (laughs) the path that cigarettes went because they were meat they were diet suppressants or appetite suppressants and healthy and then eventually people couldn't avoid the cancer aspect of it and I I don't know all the history of what turned that ship but it's just it's really interesting that she's so dead set that that is where this is going eventually Mm -hmm. I don't know. I do know I if women that in our lifetime. No, and you know, if women turn on alcohol, it will go down. Oh, absolutely. I think. Um, so, you know, pushing back, I think I think if I were to put like a chapeau on the book, it would be really the whole aspect of women empowerment yet again, and be it alcohol or whatever else is has a cultural norm that goes against your core core values or your belief system, Mm -hmm. feeling that you can push back on that, right? Because I don't feel like I could push back on friends that drink and be like, are you sure you really need to do that? But that is what helps people. And what moves things is when other people feel empowered to say something. Mm -hmm. And, And in the position that we are in, right? The three of us really, because, you know, Chris, you're in the health and fitness industry too, right? Yeah. And, and, and having the platform that we have, I, I, I am hoping that this podcast, if nothing more empowers other women to see alcohol for what it really is, make your own choices, right? Decide what is right for you. Cause I am that not going to be the alcohol police. But to to start having those conversations and not feel uncomfortable about it, right? To talk about, I don't really want to drink anymore, right? Yeah, it makes me happy when I drink, but it makes me feel like shit when I'm done. So, like, and, and does this really have a place in my life? What is the point of it? Why is it here? Why do I feel like I need it? Why do I want it? Um, why can't I have fun without it? Right? Why is a dry? Why did I always think of dry weddings as super boring? Because they are. Because they, yeah, they are. I mean, I mean, if, nothing else, are if nothing else, I want to see all the other drunk people. Like, even if I'm yeah. not drinking, I want to make sure I see all the other people that are drinking have fun. Um, but these are, I just, I, I, if I want pe- women to think about it, it was like when we started, when we had our um, the racism, it starts with me podcast that we did. Mm-hmm. I want people to think about this for themselves, right? I want to have conversations about it. I want my clients to ask about it. I want my clients to have their own 
com- their own thoughts and conversations um, within themselves about it, right? I just had a client check in with me this morning and all I got was a couple of paragraphs of I had a shitty week and all these deadlines and all I did was I drank nonstop and ate a bunch of Doritos. Oh, but by my by the way, my weight was down like three pounds this week. Isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. Dehydrated. Right. Well, and so, and, and then she realized, she said, I said, well, you know, it's kind of a learning experience. I was like, why don't you think back to kind of like what made you feel like you had to go off the rails in that way this week, you know, the stressors and this, that, and the other thing. And, and she said, she realizes that, I mean, she's a pretty introspective person. And she said, you know, she realizes that, um, what, what was it that she said? Um, when she does drink, like it, it makes her want to eat everything and in, in all things, right? I'm kind of the same way. Once I have alcohol in me, then I want to eat all the things. Um, so it just makes matters worse. Um, and then she realized that she needs, it's like same thing, like bewitching hour in the evenings, the evenings are hard for her. And it's just like, you're stressed and you're tired from the day and you just want the thing to relax you. So she's going to start taking herself up into her bedroom and doing meditation and taking a hot bath and all of these other things for herself, for her mental well being, other than an alcoholic substance. So one of the other things that, um, I think Annie Gray and, and Holly might mention it here. I know you guys said rocket fuel, but I think Annie Gray says it, you know, it is ethanol. Like we ethanol, are drinking, yes. yeah, mm-hmm. we are totally mm-hmm. drinking ethanol. And she, she's like, you know, do we really like the taste of it? And if you think about the very first time you had a drink, you know, it was disgusting. And then, you know, then you have to have an acquired taste for it. And she really addresses like the, the sugar content, like when you break it down and you guys, you know, when you sent me the, the reading on like how your body metabolizes alcohol and to be very aware of that, like, it's not just 120 calories and and this many carbs, like it says on the bottle, like your body metabolizes it this way instead, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it makes you really stop and and put it into perspective. But you know, when, when we say, well, I really just like the taste, do we really just like the taste? And she talks a lot about this woman. She brings it up because I do a bunch of different things with Annie Grace as well, but she talks about this woman that wants uh, Bailey's in her coffee every morning. She really likes the taste of the Bailey's. (laughs) And it's, and drives her kids to school and she's probably fine. You know, it's a little bit in her coffee, but still like, you know, why not just go get a, you know, international delight Irish. Right. They have Bailey's. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. So like really, you know, stopping. And I don't think people really do stop. You know, I I would say that I really like the the taste of red wine, but then when I had that first sip, I'm just like, you know, mm-hmm. the, is this really good? I don't know. Oh, but after a couple, I'm like, oh yes, now I taste the blackberries and the currants <laughs> and the coffee. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, you know, just really stopping to, to, to think and ask ourselves, is, is this really why, why I want to drink? And I would say that one for me is just dumb. Like I've, I, and I would have said that my whole life, like one drink is just why bother? It's a waste of, it's like going to get a Frappuccino from Starbucks. Like why waste the calories on, on one drink? Mm-hmm. But if I have two, then I'm going to catch a little bit of a buzz and it's going to feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is, is once I have two, then my inhibitions are down and I'm probably going to have three and three, yeah. three and four for me was just too much. And I don't think that my body has really recovered from the holiday season, like between between the, the food and the alcohol and the stress, I'm still struggling to drop these last couple of pounds. And I've been like reining it in and I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> like every time we get on the scale, it is just hovering right there. And I, I just think that that was the one thing that I added into my life that has really caused some, I don't want to say damage, but it's definitely done a number on me. So, you know, to think about all of those things, it's a lot to think about, you know, mm-hmm. I think 
I think it's a lot to think about. Well, and it is, you know, to, to the technical aspects of what your body does when you have alcohol, which she explains in the book, right? It's, it is a poison. And in what I explained to clients, you know, we're talking about athletic pursuits. Yes. Is one or is, is a drink every now and then going to hinder fat loss? There's all kinds of studies and everything that says calorie for calorie. No. Right. But if, you know, if you're trying to optimize what you're doing, if you're trying to optimize athletic performance, that it has absolutely no point. There is nothing about alcohol that will optimize athletic performance. There is, there's nothing you can, you can tell or any study that will say otherwise. Um, but when you have alcohol, your body has to metabolize that before it can metabolize anything else because it is a poison. It has to be gotten out of your body by the liver. And then fats are also processed by the liver. So fats have to be oxidized by the liver. Well, when your liver is real busy getting the alcohol out of your system, and what do we do when we're drinking? We eat fatty, gross foods, right? Because we were drinking or the next morning when we're hungover, right? It's like the fatty foods make you feel better, blah, blah, blah. And that's like quite literally the worst possible combination because you have all these fats coming in your body and your liver's like, uh-uh, that's why I get all this alcohol out of here. I can't do shit with you fats. So why don't you just go hang out in the fat cells, right? So let me, let, why don't you, y'all go sit down and shut up in the fat cells. I'm gonna get this alcohol out of here and then we'll get on about our business, but it's too late, right? So, um, you know, that's in very quick layman's terms about, you know, what's happening, but Again, it is a poison. It's the same shit they put in rocket fuel, which is why we said rocket fuel. <laughs> right? I'm curious to know, Brandy, how, like, what, how did you know it was an alcohol allergy? Like, what would happen to you that was like, oh, this is not normal? Yeah, so it's actually really interesting. So with the first sip, my nose would start to clog up like an immediate sinus infection. I mean, and people who I'm around could even hear it. They're like, what's wrong with you? I like one drink and I'd be like, and I get a headache. And then my whole neck and chest turns bright red, bright red. So then, you know, I went through all the steps of, okay, it's it's red wine. So let's get rid of that. And so then I could drink other things for a minute. And then it was white wine. Then it was beer. Then it was alcohol. And so now I'm not, I am not a hundred percent sober, but when I, drink, I have to be in it to win it because I have, I'm going to have this allergy attack. So I really am pretty much just a vacation drinker because with the alcohol, not being a regular drinker now, then this massive allergy attack, I feel like dog crap for about two days. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't completely stop me from doing it. Right. But, um, yeah, so it's a histamine allergy and I mean, and it just came on like hard and fast. And I just, I mean, I really believe it was God saying like, Oh my God, the 100 other bad things that have happened to you due to alcohol wasn't enough. Like, yeah. So here's this, how about this? Let's try this. Like, what do I have (laughs) to do? Ding dong. And I mean, and that worked because I was a two, three drinks a night person for probably a solid 20 years. And then the weekends, it was like a lot more. Yeah. Um, and even after I had kids, you know, we would have two gin and tonics a night. And I don't, I don't really drink at all. Like last night we had people for Easter and everybody drank and I'm like, I got shit to do tomorrow. I don't yeah. care. It's really when I get together with my girlfriends or my sister. Um, and I don't regret it. Like I'm planned for it. It's fun. It's relaxing. I enjoy it. It doesn't get out of hand. Um, and I'm prepared for the, the allergy issue, but. It's funny because I have the, I have, I have started having a similar reaction. So it's really been a little bit over the last 
couple, probably over the last year or so, it's just gotten progressively worse. I know if I have certain drinks, I will say certain, certain types of alcohol and it's almost every type of alcohol at this point, the minute I have it, it's like sinus headache. It's it like, literally I have one, one sip of the drink and it's like, whoop, and I'm like, but yet sometimes I'm like, Oh, keep going. That makes sense. Right. Um, which doesn't make any sense at all. Um, and sometimes it waits and you know, it's not on the first sip. It sometimes it's, a glass in or when I'm going to bed and I have heart palpitations or I wake up in the middle of the night with night sweats and heart, heart palpitations. And, um, and again, some of it is, um, some of it is, you know, my lupus or the medication that I'm on. I remember when I was diagnosed with lupus, this is, again, this is how I just process through, process through things. But I remember asking my, I was just diagnosed with lupus. I have an autoimmune disease that could kill me at some point. Right. I mean, that's the reality of it. And she puts me on this medication. I'm on Plaquenil, hydrochloroquine, and uh, and she's and it's it says not to drink on it. I said, well, what happens if you do? Why do you even? Why am I even asking this question? If it says not to drink, why what? Why do I need to drink on the drugs? And she's like, because you're gonna feel like shit. <laughs> and she's like, and oh by the way, you have lupus, so you shouldn't drink anyway. And I'm just like, right? So, but let me give it a shot because maybe it won't affect me. Maybe I'm not the one, right? Um, but anyway, yeah. So. Same thing is going on with me, and I, I am, I am working my way into, like I said, I, I'm certainly not sober. Clearly, I posted pictures of me with wine last night, but I am, I am reducing it more and more and more. I want it less and less and less because I do not want to feel like shit. I got too much shit to do. I got, you know, I got, I feel like shit enough just having lupus. So I got, I got no time in my life for the other stuff. Well, Chris, thank you for raising this book to our attention. Yes. It, it is definitely not something I would have picked up otherwise. And I think it's going to have a big impact on me. I think it's one that I'm going to have to revisit a few times as I process you know, my own journey. But thank you for, for bringing that into my life. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm so glad that you guys even picked it up and started reading it. Because I don't think I even suggested it. Tina, you were like, I think I'm going to just read this book just to see what it's about. Um, but there's, there is so many things in it. And honestly, one thing, and I, I don't want to say AA was all bad. Like obviously AA gave me this life that I have today and it taught me, you know, so much. It brought me back to my relationship with God. So I am grateful on some level, but, um, you know, I, I just really appreciated seeing that there are so many more people out there at this level and being able to, uh, apply this to other things beyond alcohol, I think is, is great because we all struggle with more than one thing. We all have many things that come up and mind change throughout the years, you know, food and, and alcohol now apparently are my two. Um, but it, you know, just kind of knowing that you're not alone really does help. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, I a thousand percent agree. And I, I think I picked it up, Chris, because like I said, I think you and I relate to each other on a, a lot of levels. Like we kind of get each other in life experience. And I was like, well, that's really interesting. And I, I kind of want to see what she's getting out of this. And I, I saw so much of you in that book, right? Like what I know of you. And I was like, I get like, this makes so much sense to me for you and for me, you know, like I, I again, and I'm, I'm really interested to, to check out um, the Annie Grace book. And then um, the other one that she mentions, I forget the, the, the very first time she quit drinking the guy's book that she uh, it's like how to quit alcohol easily. Yeah. Something like that. Oh I, yeah. Yeah. I got it. I'll have to. 
His name's Alan Carr, but I can't remember yes, the name of the that's, it's Yeah, because I actually have it in my Audible selection, so I'm just waiting on another credit to pop up next month so that I can listen to that one and then go spend more money and, and buy the, the paperback book like I always do. Um, but, yeah, so I, you know, I just encourage, um, you know, the two of you who are listening, hmm. um, <laughs> the, other, the other two people that are listening, you know, quite like a woman uh, by uh, Holly Whitaker. I, again, you do not have to quit. I'm not the alcohol police. So I'm not going to judge anybody for drinking, not drinking or otherwise. But I just, I, I'm just a big fan of like, the more you know, the better you do, right? So even if you read it and you're like, nah, not for me, at least you, you know more stuff, right? You might look at things differently. You might not quit drinking. You might drink more. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Um, but you don't know what you don't know until you you take the time to to open your eyes to other things, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on with us again. Thanks, Chris. All right. Thanks for having weird. me. I appreciate it. Do you, know, right. do you know our tagline? Don't get weird. Use your head. It'll all be okay. Chris is supposed to say that part. Oh. I was waiting to see if she was going to say it. I didn't want to put her on the spot. That's awkward. Okay. No, don't put me on the spot. Too much pressure. <laughs> All right, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you, guys. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Coaching and Cocktails, the podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you like to stream your favorites. Bye.